Hi guys, welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass. I wanted to take a quick minute to talk about one of our sponsors that make this podcast possible, and that's Parker Sporlin and the Catch-All Filter Dryer. Do you know what can reduce system efficiencies and reliability within your refrigeration system? If you answer contamination, you are correct. Sporlin catch-all dryers have been around, been around since 1947 and have been perfected over the years to capture water, acid, solids, debris, including sludges and varnishes. For best practices, change the catch-all filter dryer if any of the following occurs. Initial system install, when a system is open for service or repair, when excessive pressure drop of 5 PSI across the filter dryer, when the see-all sight glass indicates water is present, when doing a T1-1 acid test kit says there's acid present, during a compressor burnout cleanup, and following a successful burnout cleanup. To find out more information, by downloading Bulletin 40-10 from Sporlin.com with all the catch-all filter dryer information. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. I think it's a joke, sir. Like, uh, silly or or biggest digger, sir. What's so funny about biggest diggers? Well, it's a joke name, sir. I have a very great friend in Rome called Biggest Dickers. <laughs> and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're here with your host, Brett Wetzel, Kevin Compass, and tonight we have a special guest, uh, Jim Jansen from Sporlin. Hi. Hi, guys. How are we doing, Jim? Great. Thank you. So um, this week uh, we're, we're going to have uh, – Jim's going to talk about the S3C. Um, we're going to get into the general application, um, you know, things that uh, this controller is going uh, to be able to do for you. And uh, some commonly uh, commonly asked technical support questions uh, we're going to go over. And um, like I said, without further ado, let's get started. Sure, you bet. Jim, uh, how long how long have you been with Sporlin? Oh, almost longer than I care to admit. <laughs> you want you want a more definitive answer than that? Sure, sure. What'd you what you almost, do with almost twenty eight years? Oh wow. Yeah, and then prior to that, well, I've, I've been in the industry since I was a punk. My, my dad was a, an ammonia refrigeration mechanic and started a carrier air conditioning dealership and did refrigeration work back in the 1950s. And hell, I was working there as a kid unloading master cartons of catch-alls and see-alls on the sh- shelf before I knew what any of that stuff was. Yeah. And worked there after school, went to engineering school. I had two Henri brothers working in the business and, and so I went other directions other than staying in that carrier dealership. Okay. That's nice. And, and I've done various things. I've sold heat transfer equipment, uh, run out outside projects. And while at Sporlin, I've done everything from 
product management, a little bit of design, some project management. And, and I've, heck, I've even been the customer service manager, the recruiting guy who went to colleges to find new sales engineers. And I'm doing mostly training stuff these days. Okay. And they call me as, among other things that I can't repeat, senior application engineer. Okay. And I mean, do you get into any kind of product design or anything with what you do? I, I did years ago. Not so much now. I mean, if I come up with something and I want to offer it up to engineering as an idea, they'll say, sure, fine. Yeah, the old guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, but I don't know, things like the BQ valve, if you're familiar with that, I help put that together, for instance. Uh, but, you know, we've got other smart people that are doing the design stuff these days. I'm mostly helping to train new field sales engineers and doing online training so that we can get information out to more people like what you're doing here. Because, wow. because what? I mean, look at the mass exodus that we're having in our industry of people who are trained and educated. They're either they're either dying or they're retiring or they're, you know, whatever. And there's not a lot of young folks or it doesn't seem to be a lot of young folks coming into this business. Yeah, unfortunately, okay. everyone's focused on, hey, let's, you know, you should go to college, you know, college, you, you, you can get more money, um, you know, and then you end up going, getting out of college and with a degree that doesn't do you anything. And Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, the, the trades are a good way to go. If you have a little bit of aptitude with your hands and your brains, uh, you can make a good living. And I know like in this business, I've been involved with air conditioning and refrigeration most of my career. And I've never been without a job. Yeah. So uh, let's get started talking about the S3C. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I guess I go over the, the general functionality because I mean, people, you know, some people think that, you know, you can just do electronic expansion valves, but that isn't, that isn't the case, right? No, it goes way beyond that. It might be worth mentioning why it was developed in the first place. Okay. Uh, we had a number of big box stores, one in particular that sold groceries and one of the biggest grocers in the world, actually, that wanted to come up with a way that they could go in on a remodel job and replace a case and have it functioning the next day. So that meant you had to have a lot of things planned out ahead. You had to have policies and procedures and set points and controllers set and ready to go. And they tasked us with coming up with a controller that would handle things, everything from defrost to lights to running that EEV or, or pulse width modulating valve, all, all it, you know, all together, but being ready to go and having food in the case like the next morning and so that really is what gave way to this so-called s3c now that, that that we gnashed our teeth for a long time i wasn't originally in part of that original design uh, at all but i know that they they really anguished over what they were going to call this thing and the and the s3c has to do with a number of things that are important and, and so what are they? Do you know what they are? Okay. Uh, you want me to tell you? Are you interested in that? 
I got them written down because I can't remember much, <laughs> you know. Well, it's it's safety as it pertains to food safety. You know, the FDA has got regs in place that you can't let food get over a certain temperature, like during a defrost or that sort of thing. And then you got to keep that stuff either cool, cold or frozen all the time. Yeah. So safety and then service had to do with having a, that's one of the S's, that's having a diagnostic tool that you could access either on-site or remotely and try to figure out what kind of things were going awry. And then security was the last S, and that has to do with having a device that would would fail safe, that it would, if it did, if something did break, you would, you would operate until you just couldn't, and it could be standalone. And that was an important thing. Many controllers are, they have to be hooked up to that BAS, that building automation system to function. Well, they, they, again, that big box store that sold groceries all over the place, wanted a controller that could work on its own or be connected to a building automation system. And this S3C does all that. Now, as far as some of the interesting things that it does, We've got it set up to where there are a number of termination points on it that will accommodate a relay for a liquid line solenoid valve or for the new concept. Well, not so new, but the concept of a pulse width modulating valve that gets used as an EEV, if you will. Uh, The EEV being an electrically actuated, electronically controlled valve that you might use to manage and regulate superheat. And there's companies that have been pulsing solenoid valves for decades with that approach. And, And quite frankly, we used to argue that that wasn't the best way to go, that there were problems with that and and that a step motor valve with controls and sensors and was a whole lot better. Problem. But you can, there's there's pros and cons to both ways, and we can accommodate that. In fact, we offer a pulse width modulating valve as a solenoid that can be used in that, in that function. Uh, we've got a relay uh, to handle fans, control fans in the case, lights, defrost heaters, anti-sweat heaters, um, even a straightforward uh, electrically actuated, electronically controlled EEV, if you will, for superheat regulation and door status. And then we got temperature and pressure, occupancy and humidity, should you decide and choose to use those functions. A lot of times they don't use everything that we offer. Then every one of these controllers needs to have a way to see kind of into it as to what's going on. And that's why we have something called a display module, which gives you access. It's got a small screen on it and some push buttons to toggle through menus. And that can become a little complicated if you're trying to do it all on the job site, Uh, but we can assist you remotely, provided everything's in place to do that. Yeah, for that for that to work, you have to have the Sporlin gateway on the on the uh, on the end there, correct? That really helps a lot if there's a working uh, cell phone gateway in place. You know, a fancy router. Mm-hmm. If it's not, there's still ways to work around that, but the gateway really makes it a whole lot more viable. Uh, then we've also got another device that you'll probably commonly see. 
and that's a valve module, which essentially that extends the capabilities of the S3C and gives you some more termination points so you can control a few more things. So that's the package, an S3, excuse me, an S3C case controller, the display module, which you got to have the display module along with the controller. The valve module is kind of optional. You, you, uh, you utilize a valve module only if you need it. And you can, and you can connect up to two valve modules to one case control. Okay. And the um, just just so I'm uh, making sure that I'm, I got this right. So the if I'm not mistaken, the the where the program is is actually in the display module, correct? Well, a lot of the the display module will store set points. Like let's say for instance, here's a common thing that can happen: the OEM the, who builds the case. Uh, buys all these components from us in some instances and they install them. And on occasion that that case control might be installed in a place where it is susceptible to either condensation, uh, you know, affluence from cleaning the floor, uh, from getting wet in some way, shape or form. And it's not waterproof. Mm -hmm. Now, if it gets wet and it shorts out, you got to replace it. And there's a procedure for replacing it. One of the things that we that we've included is storage of all the set points that were in, you know, input by the OEM originally in that display module, such that when you disconnect the S3C case controller and you are going to replace it because you deem that it's not functioning properly and it needs to go, uh, everything will download from that display module into the case controller. So you don't have to sit there and toggle through all those set points and scribble them down and then try to key them back in again, you know, in the middle of the night or whenever you're doing this. So that part of it, yes. So just be mindful of that guys, when you guys are, uh, you know, if you do have a, a, a controller that has went bad because of moisture and you do have to end up replacing it, um, you know, you, the, basically the set points are transferred, you know, via the actual display module. Um, if you're working with some sort of BMS system or BAS, whatever you want to call it, um, make sure that you do write down uh, the, uh, the IP address on the actual controller because, you know, um, it might, it, every single controller has its own uh, IP address. And if it's not actually right, it'll actually end up not communicating with the BMS. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's some, and then we've got a, a suggested set of procedures for you as far as, I mean, it's a straightforward thing. You power down the controller, you disconnect the cables, you put the next, you put the new controller in place, and you start connecting the cables, but you save the power cable to last. Mm -hmm. And then that, that helps. But that's a, that is a common thing that happens. And then uh, I got to tell you, we have, I mean, we talk about having 24 hour a day, seven day a week support. And that's really tough to pull that off. Uh, we're getting, we get calls around the clock. We have, we have here locally, uh, JR, as I call him, uh, good old Pat, another senior application engineer, handling a lot of the calls that are coming in during the day hours and into the evening. And then, and then overnight, we've got Dwayne that's picking up calls. 
all here stateside. And then we got a, a team in uh, French Canada. Uh, uh, Fred is handling a lot of mic uh, microthermal MT Alliance calls as well as, and that's part of Sportland as well, as well as these S3C case calls. And one of the things I hear from all of them is that a common thread is one, it's simply not, the device is not powered up. There's a, there's a loose cable or there's a bad ethernet cable. More often than what you might think could occur. And a lot of times, there might indeed be a problem, but it has nothing to do with the controls. It's a standard refrigeration system problem. Maybe, maybe the compressors aren't running or the condenser fans not coming on or they don't have refrigerant in the system. Crazy things like that. Things that you wouldn't think would cause you difficulties, but it's all part of that commissioning landscape that gets overlooked. Or I tell you, here's, Here's the thing. Everybody is stressed. Everybody's working their tail off. And these poor guys are out here on these job sites and they've been tasked with having these cases running the next morning. And they probably have done this three or four or five nights in a row. And they're tired. You know, it's easy to overlook simple stuff. Those are some of the things that come to us. Some of them. Even it's something as simple as sensor placement, because, I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, Sportland's out there putting every single one of these controllers in. You know, these all get put in at the manufacturer. Um, so, you know, they'll, they're going to specify where, you know, optimal sensor placement will, uh, is supposed to be. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, we've talked about this on the Husband cases, you know, just one sensor being moved one inch in the honeycomb, you have 11 degree variance. And everyone's like, oh, the EMS is messing up. No, no, it's just simply the, the sensor placement. So, I mean, you know, everyone always wants to blame the EMS guy. Everyone always wants to blame the startup guy. And a lot of times it's just uh, it's it's something as simple as just a regular, you know, refrigeration issue or, you know, sensor placement as far as, you know, where it's supposed to be. These manufacturers are, are you know, as far as the, the, the case manufacturers, you know, they're not. They're not putting out the best quality that they used to years ago. And, you know, they, they, a lot of QC stuff gets overlooked. You know, you talk about the placement aspect, uh, something that comes into play also. It, you mentioned the, the, the gateway, the cellular gateway, which is basically a router, if you will. You know, it talks to a cell phone tower, which is eventually connected somehow to the Internet so that we can we can transmit data remotely and have eyes into what the system's doing. But a lot of times that cellular gateway is, has an obstruction. It's might even be underneath the case on the floor or it's not connected or it's not powered and for some reason. But a lot of times uh, the, oh, the antenna are broke and that's not an uncommon thing to have occur or they've got too many devices hooked up to it and it's just overloaded those are all things that can keep it from functioning the way it was intended to function now we we also say you said before that that gateway is really handy to have you mentioned it starting before i brought it up and that's true but we can gain some insight and have eyes into what the system's doing without it it's just a little trickier to do. The, yeah. the gateway really, 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 really makes things better because that allows us remotely 
to have administrative uh, rights and access to set points and to help get in and change things that might not have been set up correctly originally. Uh, one, one thing that happens, I mean, with all of this, part of what makes this work with that next day startup and getting food into it so they can sell product has to do with proper placement of cases. Let's say you're doing a project and you're going to replace, I don't know, 20 or 30 cases. I don't know. Uh, those cases are kind of earmarked for certain locations, certain applications, and sometimes they get mixed and matched. And you'll have a case with a certain set of parameters that has now been installed into a location where it wasn't intended to go. So all kinds of set points are off, maybe from defrost settings to uh, control features. Uh, one of the things that does come up, come up and it's, it's a question that has uh, befuddled a number of us, and that's some of the terminology uh, regarding things like standalone and self-contained and those kind of those kind of things because this whole system was intended to be able to stand alone without a building automation system. And, and so that's one of the set points that you can select. Also self-contained. What do you think about when you hear the word self-contained? That's another parameter. The way we've got it established, it has to do with, with the compressor location that's being utilized here. Is the compressor in a rack or otherwise? And then, and then remote, that's also a compressor location issue. Really, that's, that self-contained can come into play with, uh, you know, do you have a refrigerator-style appliance here? So you've got the evaporator, condenser, compressor all there in one spot. Mm. All those are parameters that need to be selected. Refrigerant that's in the system, man, that can cause us all kinds of grief. You know, 100 years ago when you only had R12 and R22 and 502, it was simple. Now we've got new refrigerant, seems like, every week. And if we don't have that programmed correctly, we've got to go in and change it. And the poor guy out on the job site doesn't always have the ability abilities to go in and change every single thing. There's a limit to what they can do. And that brings up another another common thing is there's a passcode, which is part of the security system that is, you know, meant to keep people from just haphazardly going in and making any changes. So there's a way to access that. And you need to have the case ID and the date and time that's programmed into it. And that's a little tricky to find that. With that information, you can contact us, we can give you the passcode, and we can start getting eyes into what that system's doing if we don't have that cellular gateway, for instance. So on the instruction uh, sheet, yeah. uh, when you read through it, the, the password is uh, 19, um, but now uh, that the, the S3C has evolved, uh, they do a, da uh, a daily uh, every day. code, right? Yeah, it changes every day. Now, now What's important is it, it's got to correlate with the date and time that was programmed into it originally. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be necessarily today. So one of the things that we'd need to be able to do is coach the tech to get in and determine what that date, date primarily happens to be for that given device. With that, we can go back and determine what the passcode was for that date and period. And, and then we can gain access into it. But yeah, it changes every day. 
Can you, uh, you know, for, for the people listening, can you, because uh, uh, there is a way to access it via through your phone, but uh, I'd like you to uh, bring that up and, and talk about how to gain access to that, uh, what they have to do to get the access, and what that actually allows you all to do. Well, there's, there's, that's a good, that's a real good question. There's, there's a couple things that we have in place. Repairing refrigeration lighting can be performed quickly and profitably by utilizing the Illuminosity Kensington Refrigeration LED. Kensington was developed by the supermarket refrigeration community to be a near universal solution for refrigeration lighting repairs. At Illuminosity, we saw the frustration of technicians making multiple trips to the store sites to determine the correct parts. Labor pileups, dispatch remains open for months, high prices for the replacement parts by the OEM and customers refusing to pay for all this effort, leading to unbillable or end-of-life invoices. Our goal was to develop the Swiss Army Knife LED that technicians can carry on their trucks or at their shops to provide a one-and-done lighting repairs at a profit. Once your customers experience the clean, bright Kensington LED, they will be asking for more and making you more profits. The Kensington LED features secure metal mounting bracket for an internal driver, near universal solution for reach-in doors and air cases, walk-in and prep rooms, one-and-done repairs, easy and labor-efficient to install, they have a built-in LED driver that has a universal 120-277 volt input, easy and secure mounting, HVAC and refrigeration contractors in the United States. They're made for damp locations, rated IP44. They have a seven-year warranty, available in four, five, and six-foot lengths, and they're tested in all major brands of refrigeration units. They're also utilized by most of the major. For information and pricing, please contact Pete Murata at Illuminosity. His email is Pete, P-E-T-E, at I-L-U-M-I-N-O-S-I-T-Y dot com. His cell phone number is 209-814-8129. Check out Kensington Refrigeration LED and our full line of quality products at www.iluminosity.com. That's www.i-l-u-m-i-n-o-s-i-t-y.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, guys, I want to take a break and talk about Westermeyer, one of our other sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leader in oil management and pressure vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. We've got a couple of things in place. One, we have a, and this is, might sound excessive, but when this originally got kicked off, we had a hour and a half online training program that all the technicians were supposed to have viewed, studied, and then subsequently passed a, a 30 quiz exam in order to be allowed to, you know, tear into this stuff. Well, that doesn't happen too much. Uh, and, and quite frankly, it's, it's pretty tough to sit through that hour and a half. I mean, it's, a, it's really jam-packed with a lot of information. And it's tough. When, I, when, I, when, I, when I took it, you had to get a, a, either a 98 or a 100 on it, and it took yep. me all 
it took me all day. Because yeah. The the questions we if you if you get X amount of the questions wrong, you know, let's just say I got two or three of the questions wrong, and basically I had to go back. The same questions you just had are not those questions anymore. They've all changed. It evolves. But with that, with it, it, with just that rudimentary understanding of how this works, that helps. Now couple that with having something that we call the tech check app. It's an application that's free uh, from the app store. It's a, it's really meant to function on an iPhone and you can download that for free. If you've got an Android, you can still download it, but you can't get any administrative changes done with the Android version like you can with the, with the iPhone, iPhone version. Now with, with that rudimentary knowledge from that arduous hundred slide training program that you volunteered, took you a day to get through and you're a smart guy <laughs> and it's tough. I'll be the first to admit one of the things that I've been asked to do is try to break it up into smaller chunks and and make it i mean the 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 engineer that put that together is brilliant he helped create this product in the first place and i'm gonna take nothing away from him because he's an absolute name was heath absolute work workhorse brilliant engineer and he did great work on it uh the hundred slide package is a little tough to make it through so we're going to try to break that up into smaller chunks that are you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time kind of concept. So yeah. we're going to try to do that and then make it a little, uh, I'm not going to say easier to get a passing grade, if you will. I mean, that was originally a requirement, but I don't, no one's enforced that. Uh, one of the things that they said they wanted us to do is if we got a call from a technician, we were supposed to ask, well, have you passed the hundred question or hundred slide one day long training program and have you passed the test and have you downloaded the tech check app on your iPhone? And if they hadn't done those things, it was supposed to be, well, go back and do that and then call us later. We don't do that. You know, we try to help everybody that we can. All right. So let's say you got the tech check app. You can download that on, on your phone. There's some interaction that you probably are going to need some help to do. So you call our tech support guy. And we coach you through that last few stages. And then with that in place, we can we can access things like the the case ID and the date. And then we can give the passcode to you and we can go from there and we can have some limited administrative rights that we can change a limited amount of parameters without having that cell phone gateway. And that's probably the biggest help with it. Plus, it allows you to, from a Bluetooth standpoint, interact with that display module. And you can, and you can see a lot of parameters locally. Uh, the, the menu is extensive. And that small display module, which it's not very big, it can be a little challenging to make it through there in that, in that format. Uh, if there's a gateway, we can look at the S3C portal, which the technician doesn't have access to that. And I don't know that they ever will, but we can, we can look at that on a big scale and see how things are set up and, and communication with that tech in the field who tells us, well, this is a produce case. 
or it's a beer cooler or whatever. And we can avoid having the beer freeze and having the ice cream melt kind of thing. I was looking through, um, I'm, as you're talking, I'm looking through the, uh, the contractor, the, you know, basically the PDF that you, uh, watch, you know, when, when take, you know, when going to take the test. And I had, I had some questions when you get there about the, um, about the uh, different types of valves that this uh, this controller can do. Oh well, you know that's a that's a good point too because see you got we've got a termination point on the main S3C case control that will provide power for a standard liquid line solenoid. Mm -hmm. Let's say you elect to use a pulse width modulating valve that you're going to use to regulate superheat. Mm -hmm. All right, you can you can do one or one or the other there, but you can't do you can't readily do both with that with that port. Now let's say I'm, let's say you've got a specification that, in spite of the fact that that pulse width modulating valve is a solenoid valve and will positively close, they also want a liquid line solenoid valve. Well, we've got some gymnastics we can go through with an addition with additional third-party relay that we can install that would allow you to do both. That wasn't the original intention, but it can be done. And there's been a number of times where we've gotten an inquiry and asking us, well, how in the world can we do this? Because uh, we have a specification that requires yeah, both. We have it. So there's ways Jim, to can you that. go a little farther into Can you go a little further into detail? Because we just had this at like three different stores okay. where we had the pulse uh, yeah. valves and... Uh, we had that relay. Okay. Well, there's there's uh, there's three different relays. I'd have to look up manufacturers that we've suggested are viable, uh, and I could do that if that's important to you. But the relay gets installed. It you know it's kind of a go between thing, and then you this only works at this point if you don't real utilize the relay for the anti sweat heaters. We then terminate on that. So you got the pulse width modulating valve terminated where you would have, and then we've got the we've got the relay in place, and then we're we're terminating that extra liquid line solenoid valve on the anti sweat heater contact points, and it, it works reasonably well. There's some a few other things that we have to do, but it's kind of straightforward. But if you didn't know that could be done, you're at a loss. As far as other valves that can be controlled, the standard S3C case control can also control, uh, you know, a standard electrically actuated, electronically controlled EEV. We're using the S3C to electronically control it. So that would be the superheat uh, regulator that you'd do with a step motor valve. The valve module allows you to control either two more traditional EEVs or one EEV and then an electronic means of controlling uh, evaporator pressure with an EEPR. So you can do a combination there if you add the valve module. And then you can add a second valve module if this is a case of such a nature that it makes sense to have that much control on it because it, because it needs it. You know, maybe there's a multitude of evaporators in that case and you're taking that approach with it. Plus it adds extra uh, temperature sensor locations where you can terminate 
uh, and because you run out of them at some point, and it depends on what that OEM had in mind, you know, how many temperature sensors are needed and pressure sensors and so on. But the valve module concept really extends what we can do with the standard S3C. Now, with that valve module, um, is it possible to control other valves besides just Sporlin valves? Can you do like a Danfoss CCMT valve? Say if you, know, you were doing you know, bigger tonnage stuff. Um, what I what I know, you've got the option to to input the 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 amount of steps that are designed into the valve. I'm I'm gonna say that I I know our I'm not going to say that can't be done. I know the intention is to keep it standardized to a point where we we've simulated all of our stuff. So the algorithms are geared around our products and how the flow patterns are going to to uh, the flow profile is going to be created out in the system. So we've got way more knowledge on how that's going to function than if we were to bring some other manufacturers uh, either step motor valves or whatever into play. I'm not going to say it can't be done, but I know as far as we're concerned, we'd, we'd feel more confident about it if we had swollen valves in place. Yeah, I mean, if, the, if you have the availability to put, you know, a specialized step in there, then I think as long as it be linear, we should you should be good as far as that. But you, you've got choice. I mean, predominantly, this is going to be a 2,500 step. EEV that's going to go into place, but we can take, I mean, our old traditional CDS valves had almost 60, 6,400 steps, 6,500 steps. And you've, and that's one of the input parameters is number of steps. And that's, and that's one of those things that can be keyed in incorrectly as well. And that, that has uh, defrost termination is one, another thing that comes into play. Uh, we've got a checklist it's a case controller site functional performance test that's got what, like seven, eight. I'm going to take a look at it here. It's got up to 11 different functional tests that we suggest that you do, ranging from um, case defrost. You know, if, if, if all cases on the circuit go into defrost and you're not getting the uh, expected results, you know, what do you start checking? And it lists out step by step. What would you consider? Uh, check the communication wires between the case controllers. I'm going to tell you time and time and time again, we've got Ethernet cables that aren't solid. You know, if you get it, that's another thing. If, if you're going to do this stuff, you need some way to check those cables for good function. And what is that thing called? We don't sell it, but it sure comes in handy. You know, I, I can't tell you the name of it, but I know Klein makes one. That's a darn handy thing to have. There's a there's another product that's a really good device to have on hand. If you're, I mean, besides a bolt ohm meter and all those sorts of things, there is uh, an SMA12 that we make. That's a step motor actuator, uh, 12 volts, and it will drive a, a step motor, and you can open and close it and and check for a number of other things. Uh, I think we 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 put on a mask, despite the COVID thing, we put on a mask and get out a gun when we're selling it to you for the highway robbery price that we charge poor folks. But it is a 
invaluable device to have on hand uh, because it is very good with troubleshooting in addition to just a standard volt ohm meter when you're checking out the functionality of one of these EEVs because that's a whole big part of the picture as well. Yeah, unfortunately, with the, you know those type of uh, valves, I mean, you can check you can check the integrity of the windings, you can check the integrity of the wires, but you know, has as far as uh, you know checking the operation of it, you know, if if you have you know, suspected that maybe the port is bad, you know, if you you're going to have to actually go through and use the SMA12 in order to drive that valve. Yeah, that's that's a real handy tool to have. I, you know, it, it could we upgrade it based on the kind of price that we're charging for it. I got to be careful here. I'll get in trouble. Yeah, you could argue that. Um, but it really is, is a valuable tool. It tends to leave job sites. You know, if, if there's, we, we had a, there was a time where most of the supermarkets that had products that we sold saw fit to put one in the control, in the control room or the mechanical equipment room, and they didn't stay there long. So it's just one of those things. If you're a contractor working on this stuff, you need to have one on your service truck. Uh, keep one handy. It's a good handy tool to have. So I was going to ask you a question, but I think I just answered it. So, Kev, I'm, I'm looking at the contractor PowerPoint here. And uh, one of the questions I had, because it says, you know, you have the option of running a solenoid or a pulse valve, right? Says, you know, I was concerned about the amount of pulse, you know, pulsing that that solenoid could take. But the solenoid pulse valve is actually on a solid state relay. There is actually no relay on the on the actual S3C like mounted on there. So it's it's solid state for you know pulsing that valve. So you have a lot a lot more, you know, it could probably do a million steps before that that solid state wears out. Well, and we check those we test those valves out to a million cycles and better. Uh, you know, and how long does it take to get to a million cycles? I, you know, that's moving target you know what kind of time period is that uh you know eventually you stuff's gonna wear out you know it's not gonna last forever but you're gonna have to pulse that valve a whole lot i mean i at one point in time i was concerned myself about the number of times that you're gonna hammer that poor solenoid valve but they that doesn't seem to be a weak point Hey, hey, Jim, uh, when we're all done here, I was just wondering if you could give me all the information uh, that you were talking about, you know, some of the other, uh, you said the, the setup guy that you have, if we can get that to distribute that to the masses. We can, uh, I've got a number of, of uh, what I've got to do, some of this stuff that I'm referring to is, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I, something else that's worth knowing. Uh, you go to www.sporlin.com. Uh, the website's a little challenging to navigate sometimes. It's not as simple as maybe our old style, very simple Sporlin Online website used to be, but there is just a wealth of information out there that anybody can download for free. So a lot of this stuff that I've mentioned is out there. I can point you in the right direction. Is out there. I can send you links or I can send you the actual documents if you'd like. Uh, but we have a lot of this information that's out there. It's free to any technician that can have, that has a computer and has an internet connection. And, and we've got a fair number of training videos, not a lot of videos other than the one we're talking about originally on the S3C, but we're going to have where they're in the works. And as we get into this fall, 
we're going to have more videos that answer, you know, standard questions, maybe be three or four minutes in length. And then we're going to have the longer versions that take that long training video and chop it up into segments that might be 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes at a, at a whack. But absolutely. Yeah, uh, I can I can point you in the right direction. I'll send files to you, whatever, whatever makes it work for you. Now uh, you said that you can also um, we can have a EXV uh, and an EPR uh, electronic EPR at the same time. Now yeah. is your le electronic EPR trying to average the case temperature uh, temperature sensors, or is what, it actually what, trying to modulate a pressure? Well, that depends on how you set it up. Uh, if you wanted to respond to discharge air temperature, you can do that and have it tackle that. If you want it to be uh, sensitive to pressure, uh, that can be done. In fact, depending on what stage of the game that you happen to be, if you want to get fancy and help yourself when you're setting superheat on, say, a mechanical expansion valve, mm -hmm. you could take that CDS valve and put it into like a pressure mode and, and, and help yourself there. So you've got options, uh, maybe too many options. Can you do, do that pressure mode through the app? You know, if you've got the tech check app, you've got a display module and you're and you're patient enough you can change a lot of parameters with, with the iPhone version. Um, I don't know for a fact that you can change that one, but if, if we were going to go down that path, certainly you can contact our tech support and one of our application engineers can help you with that if that became an issue. And we've got, and we've got, we don't have so quite with the, with Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, sorry. Uh, the connection's kind of laggy. Um, with the pressure mode, now, will it float the suction pressure up if the air temp starts creeping down? So say we've had instance where uh, with an SC3 case that's running too cold, freezing product or causing the evaporator ice up, mm -hmm. and the original set point's a little too low for the suction pressure, right. will it the suction pressure up to maintain that temp? Or does it stay at that fixed target? Well, it kind of that's a it kind of all depends. You know, if you're using say a CDS valve to control discharge air temperature, that's going to target that. If you've got the CDS valve trying to control the the evaporator pressure, that's what it's going to control. It's not so much going to control suction pressure. It's just it's just interested in what's going on in that evaporator in that case. I mean, we're not we're not controlling any of the compressors at this point. That's yeah, that's no. I, I meant when I meant the when I said the suction pressure, I meant the actual evaporator pressure, the suction pressure. So, like the the case starts making temp, um, and say it's got a fifty pound set point for the uh, electronic EPR. If it starts making temp in that case, will it start? raising the suction pressure set point of the case inside the SC3 or will I, I, it just no, it, it fix it's 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 not going to modulate that unless you tell it to do it 
I mean, I mean, we we do that sometimes if we if that needs to happen. But I uh, I don't think the algorithm does that all on its own. Not that I'm aware. You probably have to have it set for case case temperature in order for it to do it, Kev. You, you know, if you're you lock if you're locked in on pressure, it's probably just gonna. I don't, I don't think there's probably a min and max. You know what I mean? It's probably just a set uh, pressure setting, right? Yeah, I mean, I I run I see that a lot on startups. Like I see like cases that are randomly run too cold because obviously we have glider refrigerants and at times you know. With, low and uh, get a little lower discharge air out of it. We get some like nuisance alarms out of it. I didn't know if it was able to float that set point or not, but I mean, it makes sense. We uh, There's been a couple cases we start air control. There's, you know, there's, there's so you know, much variability in this and it's tough to have everything managed correctly and input correctly by the OEM that, you know, you could argue this, list of performance tests that we've got in place would be a really good thing for an installing contractor if they had the time to, to go through it. Uh, and you could say, man, it would be nice if we had a, what do they call them? Integrators out at the job site when they're starting up a store, but that's, that's tough to do that because how many store startups are going on at the same time, even if you had somebody dedicated to doing that function from say our organization, and to have them go out and go through all these steps uh, at every startup would be really tough to pull off. But you could argue that that might be where, where we need to go. Um, can you go in, um, Kevin, if you don't have any more questions about the suction pressure control, uh, I, I had questions about the uh, anti-sweat function because this can uh, maintain uh, maintain the anti-sweat with a dew point sensor that that's, you know, it doesn't come with it. I, I think it's an extra option. But basically, it'll it'll pulse your anti sweats based off based off of a dew point, correct? I believe that's right. Now, what we found is we're not having very many people take advantage of it, but it's out there. Just like the uh, we got an occupancy sensor as well that you can use to um, cycle the lights. Uh, what I found with that is okay. New store went in not too long ago, close to where I live. And they used, they were taking advantage of, say, the occupancy sensors. And you'd walk through the store in the middle of the day and there'd be dark aisles. Now, what happens, you, you, you know, you turn down the aisle and the lights, you know, synchronously, you know, start popping on as you make your way down the aisle. They found that, well, that's, that's not inviting to a customer. So little by little, I'm seeing folks not utilize the occupancy sensor, nor are they very much uh, utilizing the anti-sweats that they could. Uh, it's, they're there, just like, you know, there's the humidity sensor as well, which works kind of in conjunction with all of that. Uh, but folks seem to be more focused on the defrost and controlling the the pulse width modulating valve or the EEVs. That seems to be the, and, and, and probably the lights. Those seem to be the big hitters with this that folks are concerned that they are functioning properly and that they get, make, make cold product. You know, that's, that's a, that's a question that comes up. Well, everything's, everything's running, but we're not getting cold enough or 
we're not getting cold at all. And it's, well, are the compressors running? Have you actually laid eyes on anything? That comes into play as well. And this controller also, just for the guys that, if they never heard this before, they have a, a startup function that if it, I believe if it goes off on low pressure down to zero, it actually is going to lock out each individual controller until you actually take it out of startup function, correct? Yeah, and I think our and and then we'll it'll it'll overdrive uh, the step motor valves to make sure that they that they're in sync again, just so that we're not losing steps. They usually overdrive them about ten percent, mm-hmm. and then and then just so that they you know everything's been resynchronized, so to speak, and that's kind of a big deal that 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 we do that. Uh, more more things that come into play you asked me before how about about standard things that we get asked about all the time it is it is really important for for the settings and all the input parameters to match the store drawing and it sounds like a real simple thing uh, but so often times they don't so it's a matter of either reconnoitering with the OEM that originally designed and manufactured the case or to consolidate things with the, you know, the engineering drawings. And that sounds like, you know, just simplistic thing and it becomes busy work to a certain degree, but oftentimes that's the root of a lot of problems as well. And that coupled with sensor placement, like you mentioned before, the cellular gateway not being powered up or being in a place where the signal is blocked. Uh, gosh, those are some of the more common things that we have coming into play. And then, and then verifying uh, EEV operation and sensor wiring. One of the things we've done is color coded all the sensors so that you're not tracing out a black wire on everything. Their color code orange, blue, yellow, green, for the different functions that they happen to take to take on. Now, Jim, those are just standard 10k ohm type two sensors, correct? By and large, that's exactly what they are. We've got some options to go slightly different routes, but for the most part, they're that, I guess, arguably higher quality, higher higher resistance device and yes uh, the the thing that changes for the most part is the color code on the wire so that's to help the technician out in the field chase things out if they ever need to do so now something that that comes up as well is well how do i how do i get the the gateway connected well there's a process for that. Probably if you got a new gateway, if you haven't done it before, uh, haven't con- and, and one of the things that we, we find too is the technicians out in the field who are accustomed to the controllers and they've dealt with this uh, have found, well, uh, in this era of supply chain issues, we don't seem to have enough gateways to go around. And I've heard time and time again uh, of technicians driving you know, half an hour to two hours to borrow a gateway from another store and then they bring it back. And then how do you set that up once you get, well, it's a pretty standard process. It's almost like putting a router in your house. 
and you plug it all up. And one of the things that's good to do is if it, you can coordinate it, get our, our technician here, our application engineer on the phone with you while you're doing that, just to make sure you got everything working and talking to the cell tower. And then we can get in and, and make administrative changes then. That's a, that's a real common thing. I didn't know you could actually do that. I thought once they were there, they were programmed, they were, they were, they're not dedicated to the store. Okay. You can, you can move. I mean, I don't want to give you ideas about things that <laughs> you shouldn't be doing. It's one of those things you do, you do in an effort to get yourself out of trouble. Just like you can, if, if need be, you know, like you run into that situation where you put a case in place where it's not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's got an S3C on it. Uh, and the, and the one that you need is either still back in the warehouse or it's got, it's been installed in the wrong place as well. You can switch those just like we were talking about before. Well, you can switch those and you plug them all back up and things can go to work. You know, that can be, that can be done. That's something that you might not consider as being an option, but you can, you can do that. Um, one other thing that happens, you know, we've got, we've got, we've talked about ethernet cables and the ethernet cables are what are strung usually is what is done between all the, the S3C controllers on a given comm loop. And one thing that we've run into two things, two things, one, too many devices. We got a limit on the number of devices on a comm loop. Uh, the the original training video talked about having up to 40. It maxes out at 38. Mm. And so that's 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 an issue. The other another issue that comes into play is is length on those on those cat five cables. And that's something that you might not take into account, but that you can run out of 328 feet, which is 100 meters real darn quick. Now, if you're going to exceed that, we've got a device that can be put in place that will boost that signal. And it can, it's, you know, it's an intermediate device that allows you to go out another 328 feet if you need to. And that's, and that's a big deal. But where I was headed originally, the RS-4485 cables, mm -hmm. you need to check those from time to time. If you're having troubles communicating back with the building automation system, Sometimes that's an issue worth worth being able to scrutinize that and check that as well. And, and depending on what BAS, uh, BAS system you have on Novar, if I'm not mistaken, the polarity between the 45 and the first Sporling controller uh, is like for like. Uh, and then for if it's if you have a the description file where you can actually hook it up to an E2, it's actually it's reverse polarity. So if you have uh, A is in red, you know, for red on your um, on your S3C, then basically that would go to your negative on your uh, on your E2. I don't know how it is for Dan Foss, but I just I know that the, those two particulars. Can you use it on Dan Foss? I've never seen it on oh. Dan Foss yet. What, you mean as far as a BAS? Yeah. Concerned? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we now, by and large. Uh, depending on the depending on the big box store, there's a proclivity either for Novar or Emerson, but but you also have 
You also have Dan Foss in the mix. You also have MT Alliance also out there. Now that's predominantly up in Canada and in some limited applications here in the States, but you, you, we can coordinate that. That's the thing. We designed this with an open protocol. So we're willing to talk. So you guys, I'm sorry. You guys can, you guys can interface with microthermal then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, the, the microthermal in this product line, actually you could argue are being managed out of the same facility in Canada. Yeah. You talk to the same people. Yeah. I mean, if you call our, our 800 support line during the day, it's a good bet. You're going to get one of the French Canadians who's going to help you with that. Who's also doing MT Alliance stuff all day long. Now, um, yeah. So one of the other things, uh, you know, typically the way the, the communication loop goes is, you know, coming off the BAS or BMS system uh, goes from the 45 line to the first controller on the uh, in the network um, for your Sporlin. Now, from there, it gets daisy chained from Ethernet to Ethernet to Ethernet. So every single controller except for the very first controller and the very last controller should only have, you know, one Ethernet cable connected to it. Yeah. That, that is not an open invitation to star pattern it. So basically, you know, come off the the first controller and basically, you know, have one Ethernet line run into one set of cases off of port number two and one off of port number one. It, it cannot be daisy chain or I'm sorry, it cannot be start. It has to be straight up daisy chained. That that and that will get us into trouble if they try to do elsewhere. And the other thing that'll get into trouble if they try to on a given com loop mix manufacturers as far as a controller is concerned that's what do they call that in the jargon they call it hops you you can't make a hop to a to another manufacturer's controller oh, okay uh, that that will cause things to go awry absolutely yeah so exactly what you said uh now i've i've known some st- not very often but some stores uh have decided to go down the path of doing RS-485 all throughout instead of Ethernet cables. I guess there's some benefit to them to that. Uh, I'm, I don't see that very often. More often than not, it's, you know, you got the RS-485 from the BAS, whether it's Emerson or Novar out there to the, to the face, first termination point on an S3C and then it's Ethernet from there. How's that? No, it's good. Um, what target superheat? Now, um, these have so these can't like you said these can run independently, correct? So if you yeah. lose the communication to the BAS, as long as it has its means of defrosting, it should technically still take off and and, and functionally work, correct? But the thing, the thing, one of our one of our marching orders with this, no, several things besides having the open protocol the fact that it needed to have the functionality of standing alone and for instance you could have i don't know a beverage cooler in a quick mart and you could put an s3c on it mm-hmm. and have no bas telling it what to do you know completely work on its own that's perfectly fine this doesn't require a building automation system to function however it will do that as well. 
I mean, that was that was a requirement. So it does that. Um, yeah. So just so you guys are aware, some of the other uh, IP, you know, some of the other protocols it can be is it Modbus over IP, Modbus over 485, Backnet IP, and uh, uh, Backnet uh, dash MSTP. So in case you guys, because like I know, you know, E2 can communicate via, you know, Modbus or Backnet, you know what I mean? So you have, you have different, different ways that you can uh, communicate to this depending on what, you know, what communicate or what BAS system you're using. Uh, this is, I mean, comparable to a Jays controller, the fact that it can communicate to all these different, you know, open protocols, correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, you know, one of the neat things about this is that you, you know, you've got the, you've got the limitation of, you know, the length of the Cat5 cables that are going to, I mean, these stores get huge and, and we, we've talked about the, you know, the cellular gateways. One another mistake that sometimes gets into play is the idea that they get away with just using one cellular gateway for the whole darn store uh, with a multitude of devices on it. And that sometimes isn't going to, that's not going to, that's not going to work. You might, you might need four or five cellular gateways in your store installation to make it function properly. If you want to be able to communicate remotely. You know, yeah, I mean you're you're limited on the you're limited on the length, right? So I mean that's also going to limit unless you planned it out beforehand. You know your your cellular gateway might need to be closer to the sales floor. You know just just the sheer fact that you can't afford to go all the way back to you know where the BAS system starts. You know so you're you're you know you're limited on space, but you're also limited on length of you know the wire so you don't over exceed that three twenty eight. Yeah, and. And, and like we've said, you've you've got the option to add two S3C valve modules and power them off off of the one case control. We've got the color coded temperature sensor wires to help you with installation and any troubleshooting that you might have to do. Uh, a lot of this is pre-installed by the OEM. Uh, you can control the step motor valve or a pulse width modulating valve, either one. And then we've got the, you know, the not widely advertised option to take a third party relay and add another liquid line solenoid valve if that's a requirement. Uh, you've got Modbus or BACnet communication capabilities. Uh, we can do we can do defrost control or dual temperature mode via the contacts that are on it. Uh, we can do manual valve positioning through the menu. Uh, we got a pretty energy efficient system here and you don't have to do a whole lot of tuning on things you know now you do have the option here's you asked me at the beginning what are common things here's another common thing i overlooked it the 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 controller is set up with eevs to regulate superheat mm -hmm. and there are mechanical thermostatic expansion valves on all the coils mm -hmm. that doesn't work real well that's a change that needs, or it's the other way around. They've got the inputs in indicating that they're mechanical thermostatic, you know, TEVs, and they actually have EEVs. And, and so that's not an uncommon, that's not an uncommon problem. Another thing that we do, it uh, looks like, uh, Kevin, I thought you fell out of the chair there for a minute. You okay? <laughs> there. 
An another thing that we have done is we've got fully assembled panels uh, for some retrofit applications that, again, one of these big box stores is used on their walk-in coolers. And so that has the S3C uh, valve modules, all the wiring done, might have one valve, uh, valve module, it might have two. And so you've got that as a, a package that's out there as well. That's again, it's not widely advertised. Oh, something else I wanted to bring up, and I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot to bring this up uh, prior. Um, if you guys are running uh, brand new installs on these, uh, there's no, because the, there's two Ethernet ports, you know, port one and port two. Um, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no correct way to do it. But just for uh, to be helpful to the next technician that has to go out, uh, they prefer that you go in one port and go out, you know, port number two. So then that way you keep it standardized. So you can tell what control, you know, where the net one controller, where the wire is coming from, from the one controller and going out the other one. Uh, also recommended always, you know, write, uh, have your label maker and actually write where that actual case is going. Because if anyone out here listening, you know, had to do any kind of communication failure, uh, troubleshooting on, on these, unless you have the as-builts and as long as someone actually followed the as-builts, it can be a complete utter pain in the ass to try to trace out every single wire. You could do it, uh, you know, with, with just one tech on site, but usually you end up having to have two just because of, you know, nothing is, it, it doesn't match the as-belts to the letter. So just an extra thing just to, you know, to write that down and, you know, and, and utilize that by, you know, it just makes, makes tracing out your wires and, and your, your case controller circuits a lot more easier. Things electricians will never do. That. <laughs> Or pick up a broom. <laughs> oh, wow. <coughs> um, anything else you want to cover, Kev? While we got Jim on here? Well, we can always come back. Absolutely. You know, well, that is if you want to have me. You know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have you on again. Uh, I, just, I, I was concerned you might want to talk about nuclear fission or brain surgery or cave paintings in France, and I'd, I'd have to make that up as I went along. Oh, just fake it till you make it. I've been doing that for years, and it's been working out. You know, you, you when I first talked to you, you gave a really good story to me about why you're doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, you said something about somebody who was training you, and what the guy that said, hey, you're never going to make it. You need to just sell your tools. Yeah. I'm wondering if you were working with my older brother. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Was he in Pennsylvania? I no, don't know. No, 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 I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a, fam that's a family joke on my part. God rest his soul. He's gone. But uh, no, I, I think what that says, you know, you, you guys are working your butts off in a regular job, but yet you're seeing fit to go out and try to get more information out there to help train people and teach them about things that, you know, you're just doing this because you want to do it. And all I got to say is that's to be commended. You guys, I, I appreciate that you're doing it. I, I appreciate the compliment. I mean, well, the other thing is yeah. too, you know, it, we, you know, Kevin and I are usually the ones that are, they're going out and fixing stuff that, that it's been broken for a while that they've been having problems with for a while. And if no one else is educated on, on how to do it, I mean, it's, you know, how many times have you ended up working 100 hours, Kev, because, 
you know, oh, no one else can fix it. Go out there and figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> hey, you know, the, you know, another thing that might be worth just before we, before we cut it off here, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do from an administrative standpoint. There's some things we can't. When we, we get down to some aspects of defrost, you know, that, for instance, that requires that we coordinate that with the BAS manufacturer and their personnel. And sometimes you've got problems on that end that you've got to resolve. Uh, sometimes it's as easy as simply cycling the power to everything. How many times have you got a hold of your IT guy and he says, well, did you reboot the computer? Sometimes that does the trick. I hate that answer, though. <laughs> I hate it, but we have found on occasion things get locked up on our end or another's, and it is not far-fetched to think that that's worthwhile doing it. Yeah, and I hate hearing it, too. Uh, but cycling the power to the BAS, cycling the power to our controllers sometimes does the trick. Jim, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I appreciate all the knowledge you bestowed. And oh gosh, you're being now you're complimenting me way beyond what I deserve. <laughs> I, I thank you. If you want us, if you want one of us back, we're sure here to help you, or even to talk about another subject if you want to go into something else. Probably, probably when it slows down because I like I was talking to all all the guys from tech support and they're like. I'm working 15 hours a day. I'm like, really? He's like, I'm, you know, they're just, they're, they're slim because there's so many construction jobs that are, that are going on right now with the S3C and that, you know? Well, I tell you, our, 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 our main guy here in the Washington area starts taking calls about, I don't know, whenever they start coming in about six in the morning. And mm -hmm. he usually doesn't finish up until about 10 at night. And he's doing that Monday through Friday. I don't know how he keeps it up. And he's one of the main guys that you get right now. Uh, and then, and then we've got, we've got a, a, a good fellow that's, that's come on on the night shift and he will, he'll start here. He'll start here a little, little closer to midnight and he's helping us out through the, through the wee hours of the morning. And, and we, again, it's tough to pull off the seven day by 24 thing, but we're trying to get there. I appreciate it. Jim, if you could get um, get me uh, some of that information, I'll, I'll pass it on in some of the forums. I'll put it on the Advanced for Refrigeration podcast Facebook. Oh, you bet. You bet. I'll, let me see how much they'll let me release. And mm -hmm. and again, you can go to www.sporlin.com to our literature page and download just a wealth of information. And we've got Sporlin video out on, on YouTube with, with, gosh, probably 50 or more. Uh, training videos out there at this point you you know those are all free to anybody to view but i'll get as much information as i can release to you brett absolutely glad, right. to, do it. glad to do it i appreciate it and guys thanks for listening thank you Jeffrey Bezos, come on Jeffrey, you can
can do it Pave the way, put your back into it Tell us why, show us how Look at where you came from, look at you now Talking Trisha cause she wants to talk to Obi-Wan here about her video setup. Why him? He's an electrical genius, he won the science fair in 8th grade by turning his mom's vibrator into a CD player He used some chicken wire and shit Motherfuckers like MacGyver, no motherfuckers better than MacGyver Knock it off. And it's that kind of smarts we need, right, Mopey? Leave me out of this. So we need